Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of the Blues Brothers podcast, the show that discusses all things football and in particular Chelsea FC with plenty of debates, questions and deliberations made by the fans for the fans. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. Daniel Childs, the man behind the Son of Chelsea YouTube channel, I'm a writer and presenter for Football London, as well as Carefree Chelsea. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, to begin with, I'd like to always ask the guests, why Chelsea? So why Chelsea for you? What's the story behind that? Why Chelsea? Uh, I think I would have been excommunicated from my family if I wasn't a Chelsea fan. Uh, I'm very fortunate and blessed at uh, Chelsea and my local club. And my family sort of grew up in the local area. So I kind of had sort of no choice if I was going to be into football from an early age, who I was going to be supporting. Um, so basically was taken to the bridge at the age of about five. Didn't know what football was. I, I believe it was, I, I mean, I was so lucky in terms of my age, in terms of Roman's first season was my first season supporting Chelsea. And I always remember the game. I think the team was MSK Jolina, I think is how you pronounce it, in the Champions League qualifier in 03 or 04, uh, West End lower. And was, that was my first ever game and obviously fell in love with it um, since then. So it, it's kind of been ingrained. It's, it's, a, it's a family tradition as much as anything. And, and it's uh, quite incredible to live so close to Stamford Bridge as well. So it's, it's kind of just a part of, of the family and, and part of, of who I am. I mean, it's a great, a great club to be following. I suppose you started just in time for sort of all, all the glory years yeah. to, to kind of roll into place. But kind of moving forward to Chelsea today then, um, it's been a fantastic start to the season. Uh, well, I mean, firstly, for myself, I wasn't quite sure what to expect when Thomas Tuchel came in in January. Um, I probably didn't expect us to be winning the Champions League and, and you know, consolidating a top four position considering where we were. Um, but... You know, it's, he's done so well since he's come in. I mean, what have you made to, to what he's done at the club since he took over? I think it has been incredible uh, what Thomas Tuchel has done, obviously, for Chelsea. I mean, I was just watching the uh, the first episode mm. of the documentary they've been putting out about Porto. And considering where he picked us up, um, Tuchel has really changed a lot about Chelsea in such a short space of time. You know, when he picked us up in ninth, I think it was, and and the feeling of of how far we were away from where we used to be, say under Jose Mourinho, even under Antonio Conte, getting back to the top of the Premier League, competing with Europe's biggest clubs. I personally felt, and, and I feel like maybe there was a sentiment across the fan base about this, that Chelsea did feel quite a while. Why, um, I'll say that again. I don't know if you edit that in post. Uh, I did feel like Chelsea were quite a ways from getting back to that. Um, sort of level again and, and in such a short space of time to win at Anfield to win a knockout tie in a Champions League for the first time in about seven years and then of course going all the way to the Champions League final in May and winning that I think it's just completely changed the feeling around the club of confidence I you know going into this season it's really propelled us now where you have a confidence that Tuchel's team is going to win you know, you believe that they can win big games. You believe that they are going to compete for the Premier League title. And and that's kind of just flowed through the opening months of the season, really, even with a couple of setbacks we've had. I, I think that the way Tuchel's responded, the way the players have responded, um, the way he's been able to utilise such a big squad has been so interesting to me. And, and I think probably sends a signal of the positive atmosphere at Cobham that you've got some players that you wouldn't have expected to feature so far, like Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Ross Barkley and Melanxor and players like that, who even to an extent, Marcus Alonso, you know, starting the season well, um, the way he's been able to really manage such a big squad and, and get the right results and put Chelsea in a place that at the start of the season, I think many Chelsea fans would have bitten your hand off for, you know, going into the Leicester game at the weekend three points clear at the top of the Premier League, um, about four points clear, I think, of Liverpool. So it really is set up for Chelsea to seriously compete for the Premier League title, which I think is kind of the base level sort of expectation this season. Whether we win it or not, of course, you know, there are some very good teams competing with us and there's still a long way to go in the season. But you can't, I, I don't think you can really complain about what's happened so far this season. It's kind of gone to plan. Yeah, I think it's been exceptional, really, considering, you know, the start we had in the in the first six games playing the likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, Manchester City, Liverpool, three of those games away from home. And then to come through a, a run of potentially easier fixtures as well and to still be top top of the league, you know, three points clear going into kind of middle of November. I know we've got a bit of a tougher run starting now, but it's been at the work. The job's been quite exceptional, really. And 
you know, as you mentioned about feeling confident going into games, I feel this is the first time perhaps since Jose Mourinho's first spell at the club back sort of 2004 to 2007-8, where you go into a match as a Chelsea fan and you're not too concerned about losing. You know, you don't think, you don't look at the side and think we're going to lose a football match. And I think that's a, it's a fantastic place to be. I mean, going forwards, I mean, what do you, what, what do you think the expectation is for this season? Obviously, I know kind of challenge for the Premier League. Um, do you feel that's realistic? I mean, obviously, Manchester City, Liverpool, very good. Do you think we've got enough mm. about us to, to get it done? I mean, the squad for me is arguably perhaps one of the best we've ever had. Um, I know you could perhaps say Manchester City's might be better, but those are the two best squads in the Premier League. Mm. We've got the manager to do it. I think the only thing that I feel that might stop us is the amount of goals that we score. If we can integrate Lukaku into the team, play to his strengths, get him firing, that for me is the difference between winning the league and probably falling just short. Mm. Yeah, I probably agree with that. I feel like Lukaku is going to be the key, especially in the next run of games where it's going to be so crucial my question mark is is winter, as has been the case in in previous years. Uh, winter has kind of been a really troubled time for Chelsea. Um, we've had some really good starts under the likes of Sarri and Conte and even Frank, you know, in recent years. But we sort of hit the middle of the season, or what you'd call it, the meat of the season, where kind of your your title narrative or your league narrative is kind of decided and we stumble and, you know, the team stops clicking, the goals stop going in and uh, sort of the rest of the season is kind of defined by just a fight for the Champions League qualification. I really hope Chelsea need to get away from that this year. I think that kind of is my first point is that I don't want to be sat here in February and March and the only sort of thing to cling on to in the league is, is us getting into the top four because then I feel like Chelsea haven't really moved forward. Um, at all we need to move away from that so I've consistently said this you know on my YouTube channel on you know the work I do at Football London and other places too I'm kind of bookmarking the Liverpool game on the 2nd of January as kind of a point not in terms of the result but in terms of where we are when we get to that game if we get to that game and we're kind of where we are now very close to the top of the league top of the league you know really up there then I can confidently say well we're in a title race but, you know, if we've dropped down a few points, if we've had a run of bad results and the complexion has changed, then I think maybe we can make a, a more certain sort of feeling about and, and prediction of, of where we're going to be for the rest of the season. But I, I do think what Tuchel has done in terms of rotating the squad very well, you kind of hope that that will give a sense of freshness going into this period. Like it's not, Tuchel, unlike a lot of other Chelsea head coaches, isn't consistently playing the same team week in, week out. And maybe there won't be that burnout that we're concerned with in terms of when we get to this difficult run. You know, Tuchel is very happy to rotate the team, very happy to bring players in and out of positions uh, when he deems it necessary. So that's my kind of hope. And as you said about Lukaku, is, is the fact that he hasn't really got going yet, which is maybe a positive that now you want him to click. And if he clicks during this period, Lukaku, as we know he can, um, maybe it's going to be that sort of defining moment in the season where Chelsea can really start getting some big wins and, and really prove that they can be a title contender. I just think it's, it, you know, it's what Tuchel has done since he's come in is sort of my first answer is like, mm. he's broken a lot of hoodoos. He's broken a lot of things that a lot of Chelsea coaches before him haven't done in like the last seven years. And I feel like the next one is seriously compete for a Premier League title. You know, Chelsea haven't been able to hit like 80 points since I believe Conte's title winning season you know, in 2017. And actually, when you think back, that is a, a quite a few seasons. So there there are still ways, I think, for us to to improve, obviously. Um, but yeah, Lukaku for me is kind of feels like a big part of that. If he can click, then he's kind of going to be the one, I think, in the next few months that is really going to make the difference, which is why Chelsea paid the big money for him in the summer. Yeah, I, th I think it. I think a lot of it does hinge on, as you said, that was the kind of the one big piece that was missing from last season is someone to regularly put the ball in the back of the net. I'm um, just on that. Um, I know it's slightly off topic, but were you disappointed slightly that the pursuit of Erling Haaland didn't really come to much more and he didn't end up in a Chelsea shirt for this season? Or are you quite happy to end up with Lukaku? Lukaku was my first choice and he and he was my first choice for some time. Uh, I just think he made a lot more sense than Haaland. Raula was a big part of that for me. Um, I kind of just don't want Raula anywhere near Chelsea. And I think Chelsea are probably the same in terms of what he can bring to a club, despite the brilliance of Haaland. The numbers for Haaland just keep, kept on going up to a ridiculous point where, you know, it was kind of that dynamic for me of Lukaku is a complete player. You know, he's the ready-made player. He's the player that you bring in and has gone through many stages of his career. 
you know, he, he's found himself. He knows who he is. He's very confident who he is. Harlan is a generational talent to use the overused term, but he, that's what he is. But there's no sort of guarantee that, you know, he's still got a long way to go in his career, hasn't he? And I also always felt that the difference between the two in terms of longevity was Harland, despite his age, I always felt that Lukaku and Harland could kind of have similar time at Chelsea because my concern with Harland is given how young he he is, is that he'd come into Chelsea and especially with an agent like Barola, there'd be talks of him going to Real Madrid or you know somewhere else in a couple of years' time and Chelsea maybe wouldn't have him for that long. We know Lukaku has unfinished business at Chelsea. He loves the club. He's always wanted to have this role. And I felt that if we bought him, he'd see the, the at least the, the last important years of his career at the top of the game would be at Chelsea. He'd be fully dedicated to Chelsea. There'd be no sort of like questions over that of where is he going to go next? There's nothing with that Lukaku is there. And I just felt as well that, you know, he's just, as I said, his, his overall skill set, I think, suits Chelsea a lot more. Uh, Haaland, I think, is very much obviously an amazing goal scorer. But there are maybe parts to his game where he's just a little bit more selfish. He can't really connect maybe with players as well. And that's a part of his game that's going to develop over, over the course of his career. Um, so, yeah, Lukaku for me just was always sentimentally as well. I just I felt, felt that it was always the one that meant, meant, like, just meant, meant a lot more to me personally as a supporter, seeing him come back and, and feeling like he would be fully behind sort of the Chelsea projects. So I kind of have never with Haaland to be honest you know he's such a young player that in six or seven years he could come to Chelsea yeah. and then there's no it's not like Haaland is now gone forever yeah. you know you be, football unfortunately like football development is not a linear sort of like line like you know you, you we don't know where Haaland's going to be he yeah. may not continue to rise you know he may have an injury he may make a bad transfer move he may drop in form and and like Lukaku had a few difficult years at Man United. You know, if you'd watch Lukaku at Everton, you feel his career's going like that. But then he had a few difficult years at Man United, had to go somewhere else, rediscover himself, become an even better player before returning to Chelsea. So uh, I, I think Lukaku is the perfect centre forward for Chelsea right now. I also think like, I, I, I'd agree with that. In terms of the mould of centre forwards, look at the successful centre forwards that Chelsea have had over the years. I mean, admittedly, not, not that many, surprisingly, but... Your two main ones in your Diego, uh, Diego Costa and Didier Drogba, it's the same profile, that sort of physical yeah. presence at the top end of the pitch. That's what we've had success with. So, yes, whilst Haaland, as you said, is an unbelievable player, a great goal scorer, would he necessarily be the right fit for this system? Perhaps not. So I think Lukaku can do a lot more. Haaland's game will obviously develop. And as you said, we could see him in a Chelsea shirt at some point in the future. But yeah, I think Lukaku was the, was the right one for the club to go for, uh, definitely. But kind of looking ahead to this weekend, obviously Premier League's back. Uh, Chelsea heading to Leicester City. Um, always always a tough game against Leicester, you know, not, not started this season great, but they are a team that can pick up a result, obviously beating us in the FA Cup final, unfortunately, last season. And also this game ultimately ended up being Frank Lampard's last game in charge as a Chelsea manager when we lost 2-0 there last season. Um, what are you expecting this time round? Saturday lunchtime, um, obviously lunchtime kickoff after the international break, never ideal with players coming back late. Um, how do you see this game going? Yeah, I think you've always got to expect a, a difficult game at Leicester, uh, given the talent they have. I mean, I do know they're without Yuri Tielemans, who obviously scored in the FA Cup final and is always a dangerous play. Kind of uh, a bit like whether you'd say N'Golo Kante or sort of Mason Mount for us, he's kind of that link player. He's someone that you feel has to play for Leicester to play well. You know, um, I'm saying that now, Leicester will probably turn up and beat us on Saturday. <laughs> but uh, I, I I am cautious about it because it is that 12.30 kickoff. Uh, Tuchel was just awarded manager of the month, which is always a curse if you're going into the next game. So there are some warning signs there, you know, having an away game, this like early away game at a tough tough ground post the international break is probably not the ideal situation for Tuchel. I'm sure he would have probably wanted it the other way around where we had Burnley at home and then Leicester away before the international break. If you know what I mean? Like, I think maybe there's, there'll be some awkwardness there. Um, but, you know, Leicester haven't really started the season that well. I mean, I watched their game against Arsenal and, you know, Arsenal took them apart. You know, they really did. I know that Ramsdale made a few brilliant saves, but defensively I felt they were really exposed. And, 
I, I do wonder if that FA Cup final was a real turning point maybe for Tuchel in terms of, it's not like he was doing anything bad at that point from Chelsea. You know, he'd gotten us to the Champions League final, I think by that point when we faced him in the FA Cup final. But just I thought tactically or at least personnel-wise, he made a few mistakes that day, you know, starting Alonso over Chilwell. Um, maybe just that feeling of, you know, Chelsea being a little bit turgid and maybe not having the right mentality going into that game. Um I'm intrigued to see what he does against Leicester on this Saturday because Chelsea haven't won there in the in the league since 2017, I think, under Conte when Morata scored. Uh, so that's how long uh, long ago it was. Um, I'm intrigued to see as well how he fields the attack because Lukaku. I'm not quite sure if he's ready to start. I mean, I've seen some pictures of him training with the ball now, but it looks like he's still training alone, which is always kind of a sign. I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday evening and. I'm not quite sure if he'll be fully ready to start that game. He may be on the bench. He may not even be fully available for the squad. So we'll have to see on that. But there are certain players I want to see start this game. Like I think have to keep on starting Callum Hudson-Odoi, who's been brilliant. I think especially at left wing, I want to see him at left wing again creatively. I just think having that consistency is so important for Callum. And I I don't think he could have performed any better in the previous run, to be honest. I think Tuchel gave him that opportunity. You can kind of go, oh, injuries allowed the space for Callum to, to get that chance finally. But given some of the other players who've been in that position, I think Callum's consistency and, and the things that he showed, albeit against poor opposition at times, I think is enough to for me to to want to see Callum stay in that in that starting eleven. Uh, Reese James, I think, is the other interesting one for me because tactically against Leicester last season, Reese was used as a right centre back to kind of deal with Jamie Vardy's uh, pace. And I'm intrigued to see what Tuchel does. And I actually hope Tuchel doesn't do that again because Reese is just in the form of his life at the moment, creatively. He's been incredible this season. And the wing-backs, both him and Shearwell, are just so essential to the way Chelsea create chances and, and the way Chelsea flow as a team. Um, so I really hope that Tuchel doesn't think to himself, yeah, sure, we've got maybe uh, concerns about the pace in behind, but I, I look at someone like Trevor Chalobah, for instance, who's got more than enough speed, I think, to cope. And that defence is so rigid. So I, there are intriguing things for Tuchel to do tactically. Um, but it seems like, fingers crossed, we have a clean bill of health going into this game, mostly. There's some players who, of course, need to get back to fitness. I'm, I'm not quite sure about Werner because he's not yeah. been training, apparently. Um, he's still not at Cobham. So there, there are some question marks over there. But I, I feel we should... Like, the performance against Burnley, it's, it's always hard to know because an international break obviously disrupts that rhythm. But the performance against Burnley, I think, was really good. I think it was one of Chelsea's best creative performances of the season. The problem was Chelsea just couldn't finish that day. Um, but I feel Tuchel's sort of feelings after it were pretty pretty good, actually, in terms of sort of reflecting on the performance and saying, actually, we played well. The stats show we were creative. So you hope that Chelsea can continue that momentum against Leicester. So it's, it's going to be a tough game. You've got to expect it against Leicester. But I feel like there are areas for Chelsea to exploit. And I actually feel like a, a team like Leicester who want a lot more of the ball and may actually come on to Chelsea a bit more, always is going to help Tuchel because I think he loves to to use this Chelsea team to play on transition and play on counter-attack, you know, and I think that's where Chelsea can thrive on Saturday. Yeah, I think there's, as you mentioned, you know, we've, it's nice to have a lot of selection kind of, not headaches as such, but selection issues perhaps. Um, mm. I don't think we've had that for a long time. And one of the best things about Tuchel, I think, since she's come in, is the fact that it doesn't matter who seems to play, the performance levels are always so high. So you don't have to worry about someone stepping into the back line because we always seem to keep a clean sheet or give up very few chances, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, we're going to probably presume that Lukaku isn't going to be fit to start. Presuming that, who do you feel should spearhead the attack? Are we thinking Kai Havertz in that kind of centre-forward position? Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, I, I agree with you, should continue. Obviously, created the most chances for Chelsea in the Premier League. I think 19 opportunities. Um, if our finishing was better, he could have had two or three more assists to his name. Um, and, yeah, and perhaps, I, I don't know how fit Mount's going to be. Obviously, he's back in training, not sure. But maybe the likes of Christian Pulisic. There's a, there's a few, I mean, what makeup of front three would you go with? Uh, I'd probably stick with Callum, Kai, and I'd, bring Mason back in mm. um, kind of a little bit harsh on Barkley because I thought Barkley had a really good showing against um, Burnley he kind of played as a number 10 rather than as kind of a, a right winger which you'd expect or a right number 10 he was kind of it was interesting to see how Tuchel managed that front three in terms of as I say Barkley playing a little bit deeper and kind of having Kai and, and 
Nacho as a, as a fluid front. So I think that worked against Burnley's deep defense to try and, you know, open up space. Kai's, despite his overall performances not being great, albeit, he is scoring goals. You know, you look at his recent games, he scored against uh, Malmo, he scored against um, Southampton in the League Cup. He scored against Burnley and he scored for Germany the other night. Um, a really good finish, uh, a really good low cross. It was it was kind of a, a a move that you'd expect Chelsea to actually create with the wing backs. You know the way Hansi Flick has set up his his Germany team is not that dissimilar to the way Chelsea play. Uh, Hoffman on the overlap, get a really good drilled cross into into the box and Kai running across dinked it into the bottom corner. Really good finish. Um, so he's in good goal scoring form and if he's in full fitness, I actually expect Kai to start here. I'd, I'd probably go with that front three because, you know, Mason, obviously there are doubts because he didn't play that much against um, Burnley. He didn't obviously feature for, for England over the international break, but I suspect that he's probably ready to, to feature in this game. And you want those connections, I think, are so important for the team right now. You know, as you just mentioned about sort of the rotations, but it within personnel. But I, I do think there are consistent things you want to see in the team, you know, building up that rhythm when you can. And the way Mason and James on that right side, I think, link up so well together. Callum and Chilwell, I think that's a really good combo that I've seen since the Southampton game, really, in October at the bridge. You know, those two, I think, on the left can cause so much harm in the way they can move about. You know, Callum will go out, to, out wide and we know the wing back like to to come inside a lot of the time so that's the front three I'd go for it's a very fluid front three I think it allows Chelsea to sit back a bit more allows you know there's more pressing in that front three I think you'd say against against Leicester so that's on instinct the one I'd go for I'm intrigued because you know Hakim Ziyech obviously hasn't been involved uh, for Morocco um, since he fell out with the national team coach so I'm interested to see if he's like he'd be one of those players who'd be in the eye of Tuchel for, for the international break, same as Ross Barkley. Um, players who you expect to fully fit, you know, ready to go, have no sort of like chinks in the armour in terms of their fitness. So potentially there's, you mentioned Pulisic, obviously scored for the USA. I want to see, I wrote about this for Football London, like I want to see Pulisic used as a super sub. Yeah. Um, I feel like kind of to couple together why I think he's always been just a devastating player off the bench, you know, just in terms of how he's consistently changed games, but also just maintaining his fitness because the worst thing we want to see is rush him into a game against Leicester and he has a fitness setback, you know, and that's going to make him potentially miss large chunks of the festive period where not only do we need numbers, it's for him more games missed. So I feel like as a sub, I think he can be a really devastating weapon for Thomas Tuchel over the next few weeks because he's continually proved that he can be that. I think he spots his anticipation in the box, I think, is so crucial. And especially against a tiring defence, I think he can be such a, a, a horrible player for defences to cope with later on in the game if Chelsea need a goal or just if you want to vary that attack up. So that's my that, that's my front three. And I feel that there are players, obviously, Tuchel can call from um, off the bench if he needs to. Yeah, I say like so many options in that front three and so many options from the bench that can cause problems later on against tiring defences. Leicester defensively this season for Farn has been a massive miss for them. Um, they haven't looked as solid as they usually do, kind of chopping and changing between a three and a four, trying to find something with the personnel he's got available. So it's definitely something to exploit there for our attacking players. Um, just last thing on the game, obviously in midfield, um, Loftus-Cheek, uh, we touched on him a little bit earlier. I think he's really been outstanding since he's kind of found his, his, mm. his way back into the side. I think every time he's played, really, he's been, he's been exceptional, whether he's been part of a three in the middle or a two in the middle. Um, he's he's done really well. Obviously, no international football for him this uh, this break. So he's had a lot of time to work on the training pitch, etc. Um, do you feel this could be a game that we see him from the off, given that Kovacic probably isn't going to be fit, and you're left with Kante and Jorginho? I I would like to see Ruben play yeah. because it's just you know the comments from Tuchel after that Malmo game, which is the last game he started. Where he was like, you know, he's really bigging them up. He was saying, you know, Ruben is too talented and then he's on the bench the next game. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that that was a, a wrong decision, actually, because you can kind of, in hindsight, go when Ruben came off the bench, you know, Chelsea's attack didn't look as good as when, you know, he, he wasn't on the pitch. So that's a difficult thing for Tuchel But I would say that, you know, against a team, against a team like Leicester, obviously have a, quite a few internationals themselves who've been out and about over this break. Kante and, and Loftus-Cheek, I think it's a really interesting double six to me in terms of the mobility both have, the way Ruben's really settled this season and I think has proven a lot of people wrong. You know, even myself, I've, I've been a massive Ruben fan since his earliest days um, and I just was 
I just wanted to see him succeed. You know, when he got that injury, it just felt like such a big knock to him and seeing him at Fulham last year, not really setting the world alight. But I think in retrospect, that loan was simply about getting fitness and simply about having a season where you're just fit and you're playing and you're getting minutes at the top flight again, even if you're in a team that gets relegated and you're not always playing in your favourite position. I think that was so big for Ruben to get through a full season. I think mentally, as he said recently, that's been so big. He feels so much more confident inside his own body again. You know, he's not kind of scared when he's making, you know, quick turns on the pitch, especially with the injury he had that was so devastating to him. And you just see the quality he offers, you know, the way he can do things on the pitch that are just, he just is a complete different type of midfielder that Chelsea don't have you know not only I think aesthetically but I think in terms of the the dynamic he has of being so physically dominant but also having the feet of like a winger you know I, I at times watching Ruben it's weird because I know that uh pundits like Rio Ferdinand have sort of compared him to, to Yo-Yo Toure I understand that obviously when he's you know driving forward shrugging people off uh his frame but you know he his quick trickery is like as i say something i'd expect Eden hazard to have you know really a smaller player and that's what makes him such a a great player to watch so i'd like to see him start because i think he's fresh and i think he deserves minutes and chelsea are going to be playing a lot of football you know only a couple of days after leicester a massive champions league game at home to juventus and that's where a Jorginho, I think, comes into effect because European football, I just think, suits Jorginho naturally a lot better at anyway. I think that's the kind of game where you suspect Jorginho and Kante to be the double six. But I feel like Ruben deserves a chance in what would be a higher profile Premier League game, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's the next kind of step in his development under Tuchel is to earn that trust to start in your big games. And this is a massive away game. Um, I think he's mm. definitely done enough to warrant starting there and he can definitely do a job. And, you mm. know, He's someone that is so different to anyone else who's got in that position. You know, his physicality, his touch on the ball, his range of passing, the fact that he's always forward thinking and he picks up the ball and drives forward with it. Not, not the other guys are top players, but they don't offer that in midfield. They mm. offer something different. So it's refreshing to see someone whose first instinct is to pick the ball up and to, and to look forward um, rather than to slow the game down and just play like a simple sideways pass like a Jorginho might do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting game. I think it's important. If we can win this game, it'll be absolutely, it'll be a big statement of intent that we actually are serious contenders this season. Come back after an international break, early kickoff, tough away game. I think if we can win this, because it's a big week, got Leicester away, then he's touched on Juventus in midweek, followed by obviously a struggling Manchester United the following weekend. If we can get through this week with without losing, then... I think it bodes well heading in, into that Christmas period. But yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting game for sure. But kind of moving away from, from, from the Leicester game, um, how refreshing is it to, to finally see kind of the academy coming, producing top players? I mean, because for so long, it's only really been JT that had come through and was a regular in the first team. Um, a lot of money's been invested into the academy. You know, we won so many youth cups on the spin, three or four, we won UEFA youth leagues, et cetera. Yet we weren't seeing those players coming through and getting a chance in the first team. But, you know, now you see the likes of obviously Conor Gallagher making his England debut. There we've got Mason Mount, Reese James, Chalobah, um, in Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Callum Hudson-Odoi in and around the first team getting minutes at the moment. What do you think's changed um, for us to now start producing these players? I think a massive stroke of fortune with the transfer ban, which is arguably the best thing that's happened to this club in, in a very long time, uh, because it opened up a door that I know Chelsea at the time when Frank came in, there was like press briefings or at least people who journalists who were well-connected at the club said this group of players. So the likes of Mason, Tammy, Reese, some more, you know, players that came through under Frank were a better group, a higher talented group than say those that came before a few years earlier. But I don't think there's any doubt about that glass ceiling being shattered by Frank, you know, really, you know, really opening up a door and I think what it showed Chelsea and what it I think it vindicated was a lot of people's belief and trust in in, in Cobham and, and the belief that these players were good enough to make the step they didn't, didn't just simply have to be a a way to make the club money you know we can upgrade our first team with players from our academy and that has been the big lesson from the last two years um, for, I don't know what other main lesson you take away from Chelsea over the last two years because even looking at and I'm sort of go, going all over the place, but I think when Tuchel arrived, there was kind of this belief from some that Tuchel's arrival was a rejection of of the youth project, you know, as if that he was just going to revert to experienced players. You know, he played basically a very experienced team, not many youth products in that first Wolves lineup. 
But by the end of the season in Porto, you know, Mason Mount plays the pass that wins the Champions League. You know, Kai Havertz, obviously not a youth product, but scores the goal that wins the competition. Ben Chilwell, uh, another young player that's, you know, Chelsea have really invested in. But then with the academy products, as I said, with Mason Mount, you've got Reese James, who had an astonishing game that night. Andreas Christensen came off the bench. This season, Trevor Chalaba coming through as well. And Ruben, that we just spoke about, Callum Hudson-Odoi. It consistently is, is a trend that keeps on happening. And I feel it's a lesson that, still kind of needs to be retold weirdly you know I, I still you see doubts about bringing through or bringing back say someone like Conor Gallagher and giving him a chance next season and actually Chelsea need to open up room for Conor Gallagher next year because he's quite clearly good enough at a Premier League level that we can't let his talent go especially after the summer exodus of so many talented young players so I think the transfer ban changed everything I think getting in a coach who was an experienced but was willing to give especially you know, you've got to add Jody Morris, who obviously had such a big hand in the development and coaching of so many of these players, and as, of, as well, Joe Edwards, who was there as well at the same time. Having that that trio at the same time at the forefront of Chelsea's uh, first-team coaching was such a massive part and, and gave, I think, so much confidence and belief to the academy. And seeing the likes of Mason come through, seeing Tammy and Fakaro, even though both of them are away from the club, it gave the example, I think, to a lot of these young players that, yeah, there actually is a future here. It's no longer just this kind of like, oh, I have to wait for an extreme set of circumstances. And that's kind of my hope now is that the transfer ban wasn't just this like brief sort of side mission for Chelsea where it was like, oh, it was nice for a year. No, it's actually saving us money. You know, if we can upgrade our team and, and fill our team with players from the academy who are clearly good enough, who I think understand the culture of the club, technically good enough, you're not only increased the quality of the first team you're saving money in the transfer window to sign players like Romelu Lukaku I think that's the frustration of a lot of supporters over recent years is seeing us spend 30 to 40 million on players who don't radically upgrade the first team and maybe block the path of someone else and I think it's interesting this season the story of Sound Gez actually because I feel like two or three years ago Sound Gez would have absolutely been playing every single week oh, for yeah. Chelsea you know but now he is out of the first team because of Ruben Loffer's cheek, basically, or at least way at the back of the pecking order. And that's another lesson for Chelsea. Again, you know, players that maybe you'd written off who have come back and, and, and shown once again, their stories aren't over and another player that's come through the academy. You know, it's just, there are so many examples now that this academy is, it's a supply line for Chelsea. It's a way to secure our future. It's a way to make us more stable as, as, a, as a thinker club. So, Absolutely, it's a dream seeing all these players come through. And, and consistently, I mean, unless you disagree, I, think, I feel that still the best parts of this team are mostly the young players. They are the players who are producing the most consistent performances. They're the ones who are producing some of the best attacking moves or the best attacking moments. Um, and obviously for supporters, you know, some people think this doesn't matter, but for supporters, it means so much yeah. seeing players that have come through the academy and especially from the age of like eight or nine have been with the club. They know what the club means. They, they've they've lived through it. They've, they've been told probably from an early age that they weren't going to make it at Chelsea and then to prove people wrong. That narrative obviously, I think, gives so much power to fans of feeling that there's a connection and there's a representation of them on the pitch. And I think that matters not only for Chelsea, but for every single football club. So at the moment, it's going well. I just hope that Chelsea learn the lessons of the recent years and we don't just like revert to type because I think that could be disastrous. I think the situation at Barcelona or at a very different club, the way they've at times in recent years forgotten about their youth academy and why it's such an essential part to the way it produces for the first team, Chelsea should be like that with Cobham. You know, it, it absolutely it benefits so many areas of our club on and off the pitch. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, as you mentioned, it saves us money. And also, you know, the player comes through that is, is good, but perhaps not good enough for the first team. You can also make a lot of money as well. Mm. You know, Mark Mark Gay coming through, £20 million to Crystal Palace, obviously didn't play a single first team game for Chelsea, but still still a very mm. good football player. So it kind of it kind of kind of works both ways. But just sort of touching on the next sort of players coming through. We've obviously got very exciting promising centre back in Levi Colwell on loan mm. at uh, Huddersfield this season. With the uncertainty of surrounding defenders' futures, etc., the likes of Rudiger um, probably going to move on. Christensen, I imagine, will sign. But, you know, Thiago Silva get, not getting any younger. Um, Aspinacueta getting on as well. Um, do you feel there could be a potential possibility of him having a part in the first-team squad next season, or do you feel it's going to be another loan move? 
it's tough to say, obviously, right yeah. now. I mean, I, I feel like for the second half of last season, we were like bigging up Mark Gurhey and we were saying Mark Gurhey is the guy to come in and either deputize or come, like he'd be the future, like sort of to to surpass sort of Antonio Rudiger when he decided to leave. And obviously so much change, you know, Gurhey wanted diversity in football, saw that there probably wasn't a realistic path for him. I know that Trevor Chalabar coming through to some people could be seen as an example of, well, why did he jump? But listen, at you know, at that age to guarantee yourself first team football, I still think he made the right decision yeah. for his own career, to be honest, um, especially as a left-sided centre-back. You know, Trevor Chalabar, obviously, I think can play well as left centre-back. He's played even in the middle of a back three so far this season for Tuchel, but for Gurhi's own career, it works. So for Colwell, obviously, I think he's really highly thought of internally at Chelsea in terms of the way he's come through another left-sided centre-back, which I think is so valuable in the modern game, especially what is going to be the plan after Rudiger, no matter what happens with his contract, you know, I think Chelsea have to be forward planning and he's doing so well at Huddersfield at the moment. You know, everything you hear is kind of what you're hearing about Mark Gurhey. And it's also the fact of how young Carwell is. I think he's the youngest centre-back in the championship and to a lot of supporters at Huddersfield who've seen the likes of ML Smith-Rowe come to, to Huddersfield on loan. They've seen Ben Shearwell come on loan there. They've seen some really good English talents uh, go to that club and perform. Uh, to even now kind of be telling that he's the best loanee they've had, you know, in, in years, kind of says how good he is. And I think that it, it's tough to say because it, it it's so impossible with Chelsea to predict what's going to happen in the next month, let alone the next six months. I think it depends on what happens with Antonio Rudiger's yeah. contract situation, as you say. If he doesn't sign the contract, then obviously that opens up a door. But even if it does open up a door, my feeling is that Chelsea with Jules Kunde isn't going to completely die out. I no. think there's a reason Chelsea pursued Jules Kunde, and it wasn't just a case of a insurance policy instead of you know in case a few centre backs left the next year, which I think it probably is in, in one aspect. But it's quite clear Chelsea have looked at Jules Kunde for a number of years, and he kind of fits the profile, doesn't he, of players that Chelsea have been signing recently? You know, young really talented European players who you feel like are going to make that jump to the next level, even though they're highly rated and, you know, Kai Havertz, uh, maybe you throw Timo Werner in that bracket, obviously Ben Sherwell too, yeah. you know, kind of that level of player, young, younger player who, who you can see longevity with at Chelsea. So that obviously then creates another block in the path of, of Carwell potentially. And, and I guess the difficulty and the awkwardness for Chelsea now is the previous summer has created maybe a headache for Marina and for the club because as much as there's examples in the first team for players at Cobham to say that you can make it in the first team and you can make a career at Chelsea, you don't have to go elsewhere. The likes of Gurhi, Livermento have proven that you can make the jump to the Premier League pretty quickly and you can make your name very quickly. Yeah. You can get, you can make a, a massive leap forward. And, and that's going to be the headache for, I think, Chelsea moving forward is, is being able to convince those players that there is a future at Chelsea. I think Colwell, though, you know, has recently signed a new deal. So there's more longevity on his contract. So there isn't a peculiar situation, but obviously that is going to be something that will, I think, rear its head eventually. So it's, it's to be honest, I'm kind of shirking, you know, giving you the answer because it's just That's impossible right. to tell. <laughs> um, I think I always want to back the young players and I, and I yeah. think they can prove themselves. And at the very least, I'd like to see Carl will be with Tuchel in preseason at least. Yeah. So we can have a look at him like he did with Trevor Chalabar because it was quite clear that when Trevor started playing for Tuchel in pre-season, he went from, you're probably going on loan to, no, you're going to be part of the first team squad. You were good enough to play and, and Tuchel was a smart coach. You know, he he quite clearly saw the value in having Chalabar within the squad and, and look what's happened since. Yeah. Um, so Cole will potentially could come in and do similar. You know, he could very easily make the case that you don't need to go and spend 60 million on someone you know you've got the answer right here so at the very least I think him being involved with the first team squad after Huddersfield for pre-season which I hope is a little bit more substantial next year than this year would give him the opportunity at least for Chelsea to pause and think before sending him out alone again most likely to a Premier League club you'd yeah. expect would be his next most natural move elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, ironically, I mean, if we'd signed Jules Kunde this summer, we probably wouldn't have even seen Trevor Chalaba mm. at all. So, you know, it goes to show that perhaps it's a blessing in disguise for the club as well. But just last thing on the academy, another exciting prospect. Um, what, what, what do you feel the future holds for, um, for Vale? Um, obviously, been on the bench mm. uh, in the Carabao Cup against Southampton and was on the bench away at Malmo. Um, do you think he's obviously one of the most exciting guys in the academy as well? Mm. Do you feel there's 
a bit of a future for him next season, or do you think perhaps a loan move is going to is going to be best for him? I sort of looked at I know Tino Andrian um, for a while before he made that loan move mm. to to Moscow was kind of looking to take a different path. He kind of wanted to stay with the first team and. A bit like how Foden didn't get a loan away from Manchester City because, you know, staying with Pep Guardiola, learning the system, you know, really embedding himself in there and then, of course, slowly being integrated into the team to now the level where he's like a guaranteed starter and one of the best young talents in European football. So it's not, I don't want to give the impression that there's just like some simple formula that with every young player that you you do it, it's just, it's always going to work out because there's so many variables, obviously, but with Vale, it's it's good to see him involved with the first team squad. Um, you know, going obviously uh, to the Malmo game, we didn't get off the bench, but you know, I think that's probably a valuable experience to him to to be involved with, with the current first team. You'd hope in say the FA Cup if Chelsea get a good draw, we could potentially see Vale um, maybe start that game or get some minutes in that game. I feel that's always such a perfect opportunity to do yeah. that. You know, and the unfortunate thing was last year because I remember I think Vale definitely Lawrence was a part and Sunset Bell were a part of the the sort of the group training for that FA Cup third round game but Frank was under pressure at the time mm. so he kind of just put a first team out and we didn't get to see any of those young players I hope this time the environment's there for Tuchel to play some of those younger players because I think it's great to see so you could see a bit of him this season but the loan is always the most obvious thing isn't it um, in yeah. terms of thinking about the development because you know I just my general rule of loans is kind of I think minutes are you know obviously so valuable but I think you know competitive minutes even at a lower level is better than going to a fancy club you know a club that you know Ampadu I think is the best example of this is that and even we could have this argument a bit about Billy Gilmore at the moment yeah. sort of for Vale I think looking at what Mason did um, during his development looking at what Tammy did if he could get a championship loan which despite mm. his talent at the moment and you're playing like 46 games or 45 games in a championship you know Saturday Tuesday I think that's an amazing year yeah. for, for a young player to really, because the, the quality of the championship sometimes gets demeaned. It's it's really good. And so, some Chelsea's, one of Chelsea's best players has come through that system, obviously Mason Mount. And and Fakaro Tamori, you know, had three championship loans before returning to Chelsea. Tammy had one year in the Premier League, but his two best years were in the championship as well. So uh, that'd be kind of be my feeling if, if it was to go smoothly. As we know, some young players, it doesn't go smoothly and it isn't just going to be a case where we'll send you out on loan and you'll be happy with that. You know, Vale may see other things for his career. And he kind of operates in an area, unfortunately, where there are so many options currently for Chelsea at a good age. Mm. Yeah, I know that we're looking at Kai Havertz at the moment as a as a forward rather than a, a midfielder. But especially if Lukaku's here for a few years and he's staying fit, Havertz is going to have to find another position. Yeah. You know, he's if he wants to play at Chelsea, he's going to have he won't be the focal nine. He has to either play alongside Lukaku or kind of play somewhere near him. Mason, obviously, Ruben may be finding himself a Chelsea career again. We don't know what's going to happen with the situation if Chelsea decide to buy someone like Declan Rice. I know in a different position, but these all have sort of chain reactions where it's like how many spots are going to be available for yeah. you in the first team. Um, so I feel like the most obvious option or answer at the moment is to say that Vale will probably stick with the first team. If if Chelsea win the Premier League this year, I think that's probably amazing for him to be around that because mm. I remember Christensen being around at a time when uh, Jose won the league title with us and won the League Cup. And um, I can only imagine that probably benefits a player just being around that experience and maybe having that motivation that they want to be part of that one day. So maybe that could be the the, the path that Vale go, goes down. Very talented player. And like we see with a lot of Cobham players, um, even if they don't make it at Chelsea, they're clearly yeah. talented to make it elsewhere. So there's going to be suitors absolutely for players like Vale. Yeah, no, 100%. And now, just to wrap up then, we've got a few questions that are coming. Obviously, I can't get through them all. Just pick a few of the, of the best ones. Um, Daniel, how do you feel about Chelsea potentially moving away from Stamford Bridge at some point in the future. Obviously, there's kind of been reports in the past, obviously the old Battersea power station, that didn't quite materialise. Um, do you feel that that's something that might happen in the future? And do you think, uh, how do you feel about it? I feel like the whole stadium, like redevelopment, whether it's at Stamford Bridge or elsewhere, I think will rear its head again because yeah. it's such a big revenue stream for the club if they can sort it because you know compare us to Tottenham even you know in terms of how much that stadium is probably going to make them over a number of years the Emirates you know Old Trafford you know Anfield obviously continues to be expanded upon I think Everton are getting a new yeah. stadium soon uh, Man City obviously with the Etihad you know I, I went to the Etihad a few years ago uh, I think it was the game under Conte when we won 3-1 oh, yeah. and just the whole 
you know, structure that stadium is really impressive. So I feel like this issue will come up again. I feel like it's very relevant whilst we're having this conversation because I've seen a lot of people, you know, really complaining about the, not only the price of tickets, but yeah. the availability of tickets. You know, so many people wanted to go to games, but they're just unavailable to at the moment for a number of reasons. So obviously it was halted in 2018. Um, with you know, sort of Romans, obviously, I think visa at the time being removed, the whole political situation, which still kind of fully hasn't been resolved. But you know, we've seen some things where Roman is fully active in the club. He's spending money in the club. He's investing. He's returned to London recently, at least for one visit. So if that can be rectified, I think we may see some movement there. I'd like to think in the next five years something changes. Um, it's how Chelsea do of it because, as we know, as we've seen with both Arsenal and Tottenham. Uh, just the most recent examples of teams who've spent a lot of money on 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 a ground, despite the financial muscle Chelsea have, because it's such a massive financial outlay to do that, there will be have to be some restrictions elsewhere. You know, Chelsea yeah. probably won't spend as much in the transfer market, which then again, Cobham becomes a very yeah. relevant uh, topic, doesn't it? In terms of that's where you're going to get your talent from, um, and and you know, fans I think may have to understand at least for a couple of years, if that was to come through, that Chelsea may not always be at the top of the league you know Chelsea may have to have a few more leaner years whilst that stadium's being made so I feel like it is an important issue I feel like Chelsea have to rectify it at some point as much as I love Stamford Bridge I'd love Stamford Bridge to be the way it is forever but that's not the way football works you know things change and I think for Chelsea to compete with not only the domestic rivals but you know compete with clubs like Bayern Munich yeah you, know, you I think Chelsea I think as a, as you know obviously having the financial backing we do in the muscle at the moment i feel like the club will eventually get to the point where they decide we need to move on to another point here and, and move the club into a different direction and i feel like that roman would see a, a new stadium as kind of yeah. his one of his biggest legacies at chelsea hmm. so. yeah and no, i think you know i agree with a lot of what you're saying also you know you look at all the other big clubs you know you mentioned your tottenham's your arsenal's even west ham got a big stadium united liverpool etc everton moving on you sort of say that the only thing that's missing from Chelsea now is a is a big stadium. You know, it's hard to get tickets. We've definitely got the fan base to fill it. It's just obviously a shame that we can't really expand where we currently are. Obviously, don't own the hotels, etc., around the ground. So it's quite difficult. If we're gonna if we're gonna get a new stadium or increase capacity, we've got we've got to move elsewhere. And that's obviously a massive a massive decision for the club to make. But yeah, I do agree. I think it's something that unfortunately. As football evolves, we need to evolve with the times and we probably are going to need to get a new stadium at some point in the future. Um, on to the next one then. Are you was Frank Lampard turning down the Norwich City job the right thing for him to do? Guy Instinct says yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it probably was based on where Norwich are. Now, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think that the fact that he obviously had conversations with Norwich, um, you know, obviously sparked interest in him. You know, he obviously saw it as potentially a good opportunity. I do wonder if he looked at it coming in midway for a season, almost yeah. midway for a season, the fact that he could have a relegation on his CV. And, you know, I feel like for an experienced head like Dean Smith to go in there, I don't think that'll be as impactful to his career as it can be to a young coach like Lampard who's still trying to find his way. And very much, I think, is being very careful about where he moves next. Because I think he sees his next move has to be a good one. It has to be with a club that I think is going to give him the right platform to succeed and where I think he can really build something, which was just never going to happen at Chelsea, yeah. to be honest, you know, he's just, it, and, and also become a better coach, learn things that I think he needed to. So I'm happy about it, to be honest. I, I think just emotionally, obviously adoring Frank, I, I would have got sick and tired of the Lampard Gerard comparisons yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Um, I feel like if he can wait, a few times because you know we know how quickly football changes and there will be jobs opening up in the summer especially um and maybe as well i think there's a human aspect too you know he has a, he has a young kid that came uh, in march you know he the fact that he's so settled you know financially and maybe just in his mindset you know eddie howe took a very long time out of the game before returning yeah. i know obviously he had a longer coaching career to what lampard has now but you know I think maybe that is, is valuable for him, you know, just to really think about where it went wrong at Chelsea or the things that he wants to improve on, the things that worked well, you know, changing his, apparently he's going to be changing his backroom staff. He's not going to have Jody Morris anymore. Maybe might still have Joe Edwards. We're not quite sure. Um, so I really hope for Frank, the, the right option will come up. And I never quite bought the clamor that Frank needed to go to Norwich simply for Billy Gilmore. 
Yeah. Because um, I think that's actually a bit patronizing to Billy mm. Gilmore, to be honest. I think Billy Gilmore's proven already that he's a very talented player that doesn't need a certain coach to succeed, you know, as we know with, with what he's done for Scotland so far. So um, that was never a pure reason why to get, you know, Lampard into Norwich was purely for Billy Gilmore. Of course, we knew Gilmore would have been very central to Frank's plans, but. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Frank does. I mean, there's a great piece that's been released today, actually, as we're recording from Matt Law, that really gives a lot of insight into what Frank's been doing since um, he left Chelsea in January. So um, I'm really excited to see what he does next because I, I do think there are a lot of lot of positives mm. um, at Derby at Chelsea that I, I think can really be improved upon. And obviously things he, as a young coach, you know, sorry, just gone a tangent. Always one of the things that just amazed me was the idea that someone in like their second or third year of coaching would have drawbacks and would have things they needed yeah. to work on as this was like some breaking news. I mean, of course, you know, unless you're Pep Guardiola, there's, of course, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, Thomas Tuchel, I've been reading a book about him recently and he made mistakes in his early years at, at Mines, despite, you know, it going very well for him there. So um, I, I feel like the next move is so key and, and I really hope it goes well for him and obviously going to be watching very closely uh, when he does make that move. Yeah, I think, it is. I think it is massively crucial. I mean, the Norwich one, yeah, it would have been a great project for him. But as a young manager, you sort of don't... I mean, I wouldn't look at it this way, but the cynics would look at it as in, like, failed promotion with Derby, sacked by Chelsea, and then a relegation with Norwich all within sort of, like, mm. three years of being a manager. You don't really want that. So I think it's important that he obviously takes a relevant time out of the game, perhaps, you know, has a look at himself, analyses himself, and then picks the right project for him. Because as much as we would have liked to have thought that, you know, Chelsea was going to be this new long-term project, where we're going to change the way that we operate as a club by not sacking managers. It, 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 was, it, was, it was never going to be the case. But yeah, mm. the next move is crucial for him in, in terms of getting back on that coaching ladder and rebuilding. So I do think if there's a top manager in there, and I do think that he, like, you know, you see Gerard go to Aston, but I think Lampard can can do go to a club like that and, and do very well but yeah the next move is vital um but yeah that seems like a good place to end daniel thank you so much for your time really enjoyed no that um if people want to check out more of your work where's the best place for them to go i think the easiest place i think like a lot of people is just twitter because that's kind of where i post all of my work and it's a very easy place to then get to other pieces of work that yeah. i do so twitter at son of chelsea Obviously, my work, uh, kind of my, my day job at the moment is for Football London uh, with the new Carefree Chelsea project over there, writing regular articles about Chelsea um, on the new Carefree Chelsea YouTube channel, uh, which you can go and subscribe to. A lot of great podcasts, great guests on there as well that we're getting at the moment. And then Son of Chelsea, which has been sort of a very long term project for me, um, where I'm still posting videos about Chelsea as well. So Son of Chelsea and um I'm a writer as well and contributor to CFC UK uh, fanzine, which comes out every month uh, and you can get for only a pound outside the bridge. So yeah, that's probably the, I, I think that's about it. You know, sometimes you lose <laughs> track of like all the things that sort of can be involved with, but I feel like that's the main three I need to promote. So that's it. Yeah, perfect. I'll link that in the description below. So guys, make sure you check all that out. Um, that brings up full time another episode of the Blues Rose podcast. So guys, thanks a lot for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.